0: Hi, it's Matt Weaver with BibleTruthProject.com, and today is an episode in which I will be speaking about covenants. Now, for many today, our understanding of the covenants is somewhat limited. We really only know some of the basics. We do know maybe the difference between Old Testament and New Testament, but what really were the covenants all about, and how does that relate to us today as believers. So I'm going to dig into this a little bit, and I do apologize. There's a lot of scripture reading going to be done today, but I have to do that to give you the content necessary for you to understand God and his covenants. Before I get into all of the little definitions, uh, I'm going to speak a little bit about something that's very popular, because simply the argument has come up, you know, With the issue of the old and the new. So the New Testament has replaced the old. The Old Testament is now outdated. And it is now antiquated. And the church uh, now has succeeded Israel as being the people of God. And God has done away with them. This uh, This is called replacement theology. And and by definition, it holds that uh, the Christian church has succeeded the Israelites as the definitive people of God, or that the new covenant has replaced or superseded the Mosaic covenant. Now, this is true to an extent, but we're going to go back and dig into covenants, and we're going to better understand the whole picture so we can make a better Uh, claim and process to to our understanding. So we're going to begin in Jeremiah uh, chapter 31, verse 31. I'm going to read a couple verses, and then we're going to continue our discussion. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now notice this is a new covenant with house of Israel, house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. So here he's declaring and uh, in the days of Jeremiah that they had broken the covenant. Now what were these covenants? Well, we're going to continue? Jeremiah 31:33, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, I want you to take special notice here. What is this new covenant? The new covenant is God's law. All right. In the inward parts written in our hearts. That is the new covenant. Okay. Verse 34, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, and the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. I want you to understand this. The ordinances, what is he talking about here? It says, The Lord, which giveth the sun for light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for life by night. So, this, the sun giving its light and the moon is an ordinance of God. Okay, he has set these things into being. And it says that Israel will cease from being a nation before him if those ordinances depart from him. So, it's basically telling us that never is God going to, okay, put away the seed of Israel. I'm choosing the words carefully, but it says this. Then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being before me forever. Obviously, that is not going to be on this earth, except for in the last days when the sun will be the light. When I say sun, the son of God will be the light, as, as is talked about in Revelation. Then it's not the people group, okay? But I'm just wanting to relay this, okay? Now, what does it mean for us as believers? Well, it basically means that there is two people groups in history we want to we see ourselves as the bride of christ and we see them as israel the covenant but maybe there's more to it let's keep reading in second timothy 3:16 uh, it reads all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine reproof correction instruction and in righteousness that the man of god may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works now we all know this verse but we all tend to forget that Timothy was writing this to people who only had the Old Testament. Okay, the canonical New Testament was not compiled at this point and it won't wouldn't be for another 100 uh, some odd years. So having said that, Timothy is saying all scripture, what is he referring to? The Old Testament is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and in righteousness. The reason I'm bringing this out is I want you to know that the Old Testament is not done with, and God is not finished with that book. That book is the work of his perfection, and the New Testament is simply a continuation of the inspiration that he wrote out in there. When Jesus came to fulfill the covenant, then... uh, And even now, but then especially, God himself, okay, Jesus, used the Old Testament. He used that testament to bring the good news. He did not bring the New Testament uh, to us straight from heaven, okay? This was something that was then written out by the apostles and that we compiled in the church. The only reason I'm saying that is that God is still using the inspired words of the Old Testament to speak to us today, For doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Now the first mention of a covenant in the Bible is Genesis 6.18. And this is how it reads. But with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. What is this? This is the story of Noah going into the ark. That was the first covenant with thee will i establish my covenant now what is that an agreement a covenant is an agreement a legal contract or some uh, bit of legalistic documentation between two parties if i can say it that way it's an agree it's an agreement now interestingly enough every covenant has a sign attached to it in the bible and the first covenant the sign to God was the rainbow. So the covenant was that he would not destroy earth, that he would not destroy us by a flood of water. Okay, I shouldn't just say destroy earth. I should say destroy it by a flood of water. All right, and the sign of that covenant was the rainbow. Now, the second covenant mentioned in the Bible is that of the covenant given in Abraham. In Genesis 17:4, it says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, And thou shalt be a father of many nations. So there's a lot more verses to it for the the sake of time. I'm limiting it down. So here's the first reference. And what is the covenant? Is that thou shalt be a father of many nations. Now many is more than one. It's two, three, maybe four or five. We don't know the number, but it's going to be many nations. All right. Now, what is the sign of this covenant? God commanded them to circumcise every male child on the eighth day. That was the sign of this covenant. The third covenant that we read about in the Bible, Exodus 19:5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, this is Exodus 24, 8, and said, Behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. So this is after he read the the law to them. Now I want you to see this. This is what we would call the law of Moses, or the Mosaic Covenant. This is covenant number three. God made another legal agreement with the people uh, and the children of, of Abraham. All right. This was the law. This was something that was considered holy and notice blood. The first time that blood in this context is put in as a sign of a covenant. All right. Now, covenant number 4 is the Davidic covenant. What does this mean? In 2nd Chronicles 21:7, howbeit the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David as he promised to give a light to him and his, to his sons forever. So what is this of the Davidic covenant? This is a covenant that God made to David that his son or one of his sons would always be on the throne uh, of his people. And we could say this by saying uh, God has a firstborn uh, that in Israel, and that is Ephraim but Judah is his scepter. Can we say it that way? Judah is his scepter. And so Judah, later in the Bible we will see that David's children or sons were on the throne of Judah. All right? There was a division after Solomon. So for the sake of David's servants, Judah became the scepter. Now, we're going to look at the promise of the new covenant from the old. Jeremiah 3:16. Again, I'm going to come back and read just a couple verses uh, here before I reiterate some of the verses I I had done earlier. I just want to cement this whole image. And it shall come to pass that when you be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, saith the Lord, they shall no more the ark of the covenant, or they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, and neither shall that be done anymore. And at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of God, and all nations shall be gathered unto it. To the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem, neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. In those days the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. So Jeremiah is speaking something here. We have to realize Jeremiah was a prophet who, who came and prophesied to the people after, uh, or just before, I should say, the diaspora, which sent the house of Judah to Babylon, and also just before that, the house of Israel to Assyria. Now Israel left that. Uh, then the, the house of Israel left the region. Okay, a uh, hundred, I believe, one hundred and twenty years before Judah. So obviously, he wasn't alive for that. But he's still speaking to both houses. Okay. Now, in 31, uh, again, Jeremiah 31, I'm just going to reiterate these verses. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And this is the northern uh, territory, since it was cut off and divided uh, with Rehoboam and uh, Jeroboam. All right. And with the house of Judah, who. Is where Rehoboam, or it's where Rehoboam ruled as the son of David, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so it's not according to the Mosaic covenant. All right, it says which my covenant they break, although I was an husband to them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I make with them in the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So, next we're going to go to Malachi 3. And this is a promise of this covenant. Now, interestingly enough, in the Talmud, and I have to look up the source, but I I was listening to an audiobook that that had uh, excerpts of the Talmud in uh, English, and it made mention that the Talmud references that when the Messiah comes, that he, the tradition is, that he will have a new oral tradition. Now, some of you may not know what the Talmud is. It's simply uh, an oral tradition that was used by Pharisaic Jews, uh, they claim that it was handed down from the time of Moses, but it was penned uh, several hundred years um, plus or minus, okay, to that of Jesus. Uh, the The modern version, at least, we'll say it this way, was penned some uh, like 200 years or so after the time of Jesus. But this is something that was used in Pharisaic circles, and Jesus actually grew up in those circles, and he knew the Talmud. It's obvious, because if you study Talmud, and if you study the questions that the Pharisees asked them and how Jesus responded, he was speaking to them without question in that context. Now, I'm not telling you to go study it. You can, certainly, you're welcome to. It's not, in my opinion, the inspiration of God as Scripture, okay? But it is kind of, it's basically wisdom literature and how to interpret the law. But in there, it says that the Messiah... Okay, when he comes, we'll, we'll give us, uh, give humanity a new way to understand Torah. All right, that's the first five books of Moses. So their claim is Messiah is going to give us a new Talmud or a new oral tradition on how to do it. Well, what is the New Testament? The New Testament was an oral tradition. Let me just put it that way. Okay, these these were not written down exactly like what we have uh, in the Old Testament with the the prophets and the law, okay? This is basically letters sent out to the different churches and regions who then we we compiled these letters, but it's keeping an oral tradition alive, and that is the significance, I believe, and, and even that little detail, even though it didn't have to be fulfilled, he came to the right place at the right time and was rejected just as the Bible says he would be. Now, why is this important? Well, uh, it really, to me, it just is because it answers even to rabbinic Judaism today. Rabbinic Judaism is really an extension of Pharisaic Judaism of uh, 2,000 years ago. And so, you know, even in that, we can see Jesus being the fulfillment of the Messiah. Now, Hebrews 8, 6, we're going to read, But now he has ordained a more excellent ministry by so much that, he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was built upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been without fault, then no place would have been sought for the second. So what is what is he saying here? So if the first covenant had been without fault, no place would have been for the second. Reality is that the first covenant was an outward covenant. It did not change the hearts of people. Okay? And so it wasn't perfect. It... In that sense, we're gonna continue. For finding fault with them he said to them, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make an end of the house of Israel and on the house in Judah, and a new covenant shall be, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took their hand of or took hold of their hand, to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not regard them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, write them in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We read the reference for that in Jeremiah. And they shall teach, or they shall not teach men, and they shall not each man teach his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful unto their righteousness to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. And in that, he says, a new covenant. He has made the first one old. Now that which decays and becomes old is ready to vanish away. Now, why do I say this? Because I believe that we have got New Testament and Old Testament labeled wrong. Okay. Now, I'm not going to try to start a debate. I know there's a lot of thought here, but honestly, it's perfectly legitimate to say Old Covenant and New Covenant. But, but Old Testament and New Testament is something of an idea that was not introduced till several hundred years later. Uh, actually, I believe it was like 150 to 200 years later that this idea of Old and New even came up. Now, why, why is it significant? It isn't really entitled... But it is in the fact that people so often then do not look back because they feel somehow God has separated the books. And I'm not trying to somehow, okay, make you think that, you know, you're, you've been brainwashed, but I want you to just understand the old book is just as good as the new. It's a continuation. It all reveals what God is wanting to do. Okay, can I say it that way? Is that Hopefully that makes sense to you. Now, in Hebrews 12, 24, it says, And to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And in thirteen twenty Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Alright, so we have the sprinkling of bulls and goats, which is part of the Mosaic Law, Mosaic Covenant, if I can say it that way. But in Jesus, through His blood, there is now established an everlasting covenant. Okay? And it's in His blood. Now in Matthew 5.17, it says, and and this is important, I believe, because the Pharisees are just asking the question to Jesus. So have you come to destroy the law and the prophets? This is his response. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. Now, what does this mean? Law in today's world, they would say is the Torah. Okay. And the prophets is, uh, the other part of the Bible law prophets. Okay. Even back then there's that separation. So he says, I'm not here to destroy the law and the prophets. Well, what does that equal? That's the old Testament. All right? But I have but have not come to destroy, but to fulfill the that old uh the law and the prophets. Okay? If we want to say the Old Testament, we can. But it's to fulfill. It's to it's to make that complete. Can I say it that way? I know I say that a lot. Forgive me. Now the next verse, For truly I say to you, till the heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle shall pass, or shall in any way pass from the law until all is fulfilled. So here he's laying the precedent that this law must be fulfilled. Okay? Therefore, whoever shall relax one of these commandments, the least... And shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness shall exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is he saying here? Because this would, if you really look at it, could almost seem to contradict maybe later what Paul writes in Romans or some of the other books. But it's not. What he is saying here is that if we claim this new covenant, all right, our righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And this law that's written in our heart by nature, will fulfill all the Law and the Prophets. It will by nature, okay? It's a different law. It's a better covenant, okay? Built on better promises, all right? So it's different. It's better. Is that all there is to say about it? Well, let's continue. So what is the Law and the Prophets? Now, in Matthew 7, so this is two chapters later, Jesus then goes on to say, Therefore, and I should mention this. Derek Prince, and I know I did another episode. Derek Prince always said, when the word says therefore, then you need to see why it's therefore. Therefore, all things, whatever you desire that men should do to you, do even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So what is this saying? You could say it's the golden rule, okay? But it's not. It's slightly different. But whatever you do want that someone else... Uh, should do to you, okay, whatever you want, however you want people to deal with you And if you do that to them, that's all the law and the prophets is trying to teach you Don't take advantage of them, okay, don't steal from them Don't hurt them, don't violate them Don't bear false witness against them This is all the law of the prophets, but he even goes on And says more now we're going to go to Romans 3.19 first, and then we're going to jump back to a couple things that I want to uh, say that I think is just dynamite. In Romans 3.19 it says, But we know that whatever things the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be under the judgment, under judgment before God. Now what does this mean? Well, before the law, we had no expectation what God wanted out of us as men. And the law showed us, for the first time, the demands that God places on his people. And what happens? Every mouth is stopped. And we're all under judgment. Because we're all guilty. Not one of us was able to keep the law uh, from our birth. Okay, so let's continue. Romans 3.20. Because by the works of the law, none of all flesh... Will be justified in his side. Okay, no one of all flesh will be justified, because for through the law is the knowledge of sin. So your justification is not going to be of the law. It is through is through blood, but it's different. Uh, the Old Testament was the blood of bulls and goats, but you have to remember, he's speaking. Uh, in a little bit different context. So Romans 3.21, I hope I'm not losing you here. But now a righteousness of God has been revealed apart from law, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, what does this mean? Now, what has been revealed through the Messiah, what Jesus has revealed to us is a righteousness of God that is apart from the law. Okay? Okay. How is this work? It is being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So the law and the prophets speak to this. And what is this? Okay, this is, I could say, is the vehicle, is the righteousness of God. Okay, now what is it? This is the next verse. Even the righteousness of God through the faith of Yeshua the Messiah or Jesus Christ. That's what it says, but I prefer Yeshua the Messiah all right, even the righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ toward all and upon all those who believe. The key word there is believe and faith. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The reality is we have all sinned, we have all come short of the glory of God. And before the law, which tells us where our sin is, we stand guilty. And we need a sacrifice to fulfill this law. Now, the sacrifice is now through faith in Jesus because he paid that sacrifice. He paid that debt. The debt was for the law. But Jesus even gives us better things, which I think is wonderful. We're going to continue here, and you're going to see this start to build. Now, in Matthew 22, 36, the question is this. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? So the question's asked in all the law, in all the commandments, okay, which is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest mitzvot, if I, be, I believe that's what they would say it. So what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the, this is the greatest commandment Jesus said. This is the commandment. This is the first and great commandment. This is verse 38, 39. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he makes this comment on these two commandments. Hang all the law and the prophets. So what you're seeing here is Jesus telling you what fulfills the law and the prophets. And what is it? It is. That you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And that you will love your neighbor as yourself. And we go back to that statement that Jesus said that if you, if you will do to another man that which you want him to do to you, then you fulfill the law. It's so simple, isn't it? It's so simple yet in our own old flesh we cannot we are constantly guilty because we are selfish beings who want greater things for ourselves than what we would do for other people and this is why we're at fault now i'm going to continue i'm getting close to the end here in romans 11 1 this isn't related in relating now to the initial question is god put away his people israel uh, and made us his people versus them. I say then, did God not put away his people? Let it not be said. All right. This question, let me just rephrase it. Remember the question is God done with Israel? Is God done with those people, the Jewish people? Is he finished with them? Let me reiterate. This is Paul, two thousand years ago. This question came up as well. He said, "I say then, did God, did not God, put away his people?" Question mark. Let it not be said. Basically saying, no, don't even speak it. For I am also, am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. For God did not thrust out his people. Whom he foreknew, so he did not get rid of them. Or do you not know what the scripture said in Elijah? How he pleaded with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they killed your prophets and dug down your altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what does the divine answer say to him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, also in this present time, a remnant according to the election of grace has come into being. Now, what does this mean? According to the election of grace. If we're getting into things that could be theological. I just think to look at things fairly simply and straightforward, an election is obviously something uh, of people that are elected or raised up or chosen, and grace is either one of two things depending which side of the camp you are and it's either unmerited favor or it is uh divine enablement and i personally believe it's a mixture of the two i believe it's unmerited divine enablement that's my opinion so what is this again if we if we just read this there is a remnant according to the election of those who not by merit have been divinely enabled and have come into being. So, what is he saying here? Well, because there was, you have to remember, the early church was all Jewish people. All right? They were all Jewish people and Israelites. There were some Ephraimites. When Jesus went to Samaria and it said, many believed, those are Ephraimites. So, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, they were the first fruits, I believe. And they believed. Okay? So it wasn't a Gentile religion at this point. This was to those people. And election did accept it. All right, so we're going to continue. Even so then, also in this present time, a remnant according to election of grace has come into being. But if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it is of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So it's a little bit of confusing verse here, but basically what it's saying, okay, grace is that God has given this uh, gift of his own fruition, okay? If we read in the, in the prophets, it says that he will redeem us, not because we merit it, but because he wants to do it for his own glory. This is basically what it's saying. I know it might differ from what some people believe, but this is the way I understand it and uh the way i see it now verse seven what then israel has not obtained that which it seeks but the election obtained it and the rest were hardened so what is this what then israel has not obtained that which it seeks what it's what is it saying well even to this day the jewish people seek the messiah they want to know this truth they are waiting for the days of the messiah to come all right Now it says, the election obtained it. There were some that obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Even as it is written, God gave them to them a spirit of slumber, eyes not seeing, ears not hearing until this day. So there are some people who, no matter how hard you will try, will not see the reality of the Messiah. All right, and we know the destruction of Jerusalem that happened and all that, right? But there was an election. There was a group who were believers in the Messiah. And David said, Let their table become for a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they may not see and their back always bowing. Then I say then, did they not stumble that they fall? let it not be, but by their slipping away came salvation to the nations to provoke them to jealousy. Now, what does this mean? So God darkened their eyes. All right. And, and hid the truth from them. Why? Because that is how salvation came to the nations and the nations, it opens up. Why? To provoke them to jealousy. Who? The Jewish people or Israel or Ephraim, okay? The whole house of Israel. It's to provoke them to jealousy. Verse 12 But if their slipping away is the riches of the world and their default is the riches of the nations, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you, the nations, since I am the apostle of the nations, I glorify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke those who are my flesh to jealousy and might save some of them. All right, so he's speaking this because he wants to provoke some of those who are his flesh to jealousy so that he can save them. For if their casting away is the reconciling of the world, what is the reception except life from the dead? For if the first fruit... Here's that word, first fruit is holy, the lump's holy. Okay? So if the first fruit's holy, the lump is. And the root is holy, then all all the branches are holy. Now, it says, and if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and became a sharer of the root and the fatness of the olive tree with them, do not boast against the branches. Now, what does this mean? So here he's saying that, look, okay, I'm an Israelite. I'm in the middle of this. And I want to provoke my fellow Israelites to believe. Now, the reality is he would have been a Jew, so of Judah. But I'll just use the term Israelite. So he wants to do that. Now, he says, okay, look, some of them did believe. So it's not that they're all gone. And it says here that the first fruit is holy. And if the first fruit is, uh, or as he goes on to say, the lump. So if the lump is, uh, well, then the root is. And if the root is, then the branches are. So in reality, the root of this whole thing, if we can say this, the root of faith, the root that God has used from the time of Abraham through now, okay, this root of faith, of the, the life of faith, they were branches, Now, some of them were broken off. All right. Now he's referring to the Romans or the Gentiles as being wild olive trees. Okay. We grew outside the root, but we were now grafted in. And we became a sharer of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Now, who's the olive tree? Israel always it israel has always been that now what does this mean it's the faith it's the promise it's what god promised now there's a spiritual and there's a physical we'll get into this maybe later but i want you to see this picture but if you boast it is not you that bears the root but the root bears you so what does this mean so if you're going to boast who you are in your position remember all right you do not bear the root the root bears you You will say then, the branches were broken off, so that I may be grafted in. This is boastful, okay? And now he says, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be high-minded, but fear, for God did not spare the natural branches. Fear, lest he also may not spare you either behold then the kindness and the severity of god on those having fallen severity but on you kindness if you continue in the kindness otherwise you will also be cut off in a sense what he's is saying is remember be careful because yes we have been grafted in all right and yes some of the natural branches were not spared but he can also break us off he broke them off so therefore fear all right and continue and recognize that it's the kindness it's what it says here kindness that god has allowed this to, to happen and those also verse 23 if they do not continue in unbelief will be grafted in for god is able to graft them in again so now it's saying that he he can also graft them in If they do not continue, so if they repent and turn and believe in their Messiah, believe in the new covenant, he'll graft them back in. For if you were cut out of the natural wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree... How much more of these being according to nature will be grafted into their own olive tree? So, okay, let me just give you the picture. We're the wild olive tree. We don't understand these oracles. We don't understand the continuing that God has intended here, yet he grafted us in. So how much more once the people who understand the whole picture Okay, who have lived this and kept the, have kept a at least a form of the faith, I can say it that way for, the, for thousands of years will see the picture how much more they will be grafted in to their own tree. That's what the Bible says. For I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery brothers, lest you should be wise within yourselves. that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Why? until the fullness of the nations has come in. So until God is finished bringing in the nations. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them, when I have taken away their sins. Now, why does this mean? I believe all Israel, including us that are grafted in, will be saved. All right, Israel is the root. So anyone who is grafted in will be saved. All those will be saved. Indeed, as regards the gospel, or the good news, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So as far as the gospel is concerned, the Jewish people are somewhat the enemies. But it says that for your sake, which is an interesting way to look at it. But as regards the election, they're the Jewish people. They are beloved for the Father's sake. Because God loves them for the free gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now God called them to be kingdom of kings and uh, a kingdom of kings and priests and that's without repentance. Now continuing Romans 34 as you also then disbelieve God but now have been shown mercy through their disbelief. Okay. So again, Israel did not believe, but we also didn't. But because of their disbelief, it opened the door for us to believe. Okay. Even so, these also have not believed now, so that through your mercy, they may also obtain mercy. So vice versa, they didn't believe, so we can come in. But now that we believe, okay, they are going to believe. Does that make sense? Let me repeat that verse. Even so, the these also have not believed now. So that you, through your mercy, now it says your mercy, they may also obtain mercy. So through our kindness and mercy, they're going to receive mercy. It's coming through us. They're going to see the light in us believers. According to this verse, for God has shut up all in unbelief, so that he might show mercy to All. So we all at one point were in unbelief. So to them, he had to take their faith and basically make sure they didn't believe in the Messiah. Us who didn't believe in the Messiah in the first place now believe. Them who will then see that we believe in the Messiah will show mercy and they will see in that mercy their Messiah and will also believe. This is the way I understand this. Even so, these also have not believed now. So through mercy, I'm sorry, I read that. Verse 32, for God has shut up all in unbelief so that he might show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And that is all the verses I have read. I just want to reiterate this. So I want you to see this picture. Is God finished with Israel? Does it look like it? The way I understand it is everyone is going to see the picture. And I have noticed a softening in the hearts of Jewish people in Israel in regards to us uh, as we go over. Because they see for the first time something recognizable. And where they see the mercy that we have. The kindness we show them. If we are harsh and brash, that they don't reckon, they they will not receive the message. Look what the Crusaders and all that—they were some horrible things done to the Jewish people, including the Holocaust. Okay, these are supposedly Christian nations. Now all of a sudden, true believers are going to Israel, and for the first time, Israel is seeing the Jewish people, and and the nation of Israel is seeing uh, mercy, and they're recognizing this mercy. They're recognizing, well, this comes from God. Because obviously there's good and evil. And they understand the principle of good and evil. And they recognize that this goodness is recognizable. And it's something similar to their faith. And they're able to uh, come to grips with this. Now it says that they're going to believe. And I believe they'll see the light in us so that all will have mercy. That's what the Bible says. So we should not be too high-minded in our understanding. Now God has given many covenants through it. And I believe now, today, more than ever, we need to realize that he's not finished yet. And uh, as I often say, I believe that God's not finished with the Jewish people, and I believe he is going to show them truth, and he's going to show them uh, their Messiah. But I believe it will begin in the hearts of us, their brethren, if I can say it that way. Some of you might be offended in that comment. and I have reasons for saying that, but I believe as as This episode is going too long. I'm going to have to cut it short and maybe continue in another. But please consider the covenants and the implication for you to be tied into the new covenant. Why is this important? Because God has always made covenants with people throughout time. And you are no exception. You're not greater than they. Okay, they were still people as well. But you are partaker of a new covenant that is greater because it's built on better promises, because it's built on better... uh, it's a better covenant through the Messiah, through Jesus, who is our righteousness. It's no longer in the slaughtering of bulls, goats, but it is in through the blood of of the Messiah. And we need to have the love and respect that God expects from his children to show his lost house and the lost sheep, his true glory. That is all that I have for today. Please, if you have any comments or questions, let me know. Thank you.